and I know that you will use them for their intended purpose. So for now, we ask that you would silence all of the distractions in our minds. That just as our phones have a do not disturb setting, we ask that right now our hearts and souls would not be disturbed by any of the worry that comes tomorrow or the next day. But that you would allow us for just this small moment in time to be present to your word, to your spirit, and to your truth. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I want to talk about happiness this morning. In particular, I want to find out how we can find more happiness. So I want to ask, or begin by asking a question. If you had to rate your state of happiness right now, with zero being absolutely miserable, you hate your life, you have no hope, everything, like nothing can get worse than it is, but what would you rate your life if zero was absolute terribly horrible life with no happiness, or 10 being you are the happiest that you have ever been in your whole life? I want you to think about this within yourself. How would you rate your level of happiness and peace and joy if you had to rate your life today? (laughs) You know, one of the things, and if your number is low, it's my prayer that by the end of this morning's teaching and next week, because it's a two-part series, you would learn to be able to have a little more happiness with every moment of every day. You see, what happens for us and for Christians and and non-Christians alike is that we often give so much of our emotional energy and happiness to things that are outside of ourselves. So we look at the political dialogue that's going on in our country and we think to ourselves, oh man, everything is terrible, there is no hope, everything's going to go bad. Why do I even try? Maybe we look at our our own relationships Or we look at our work situations and we think to ourselves, well, my boss is a terrible boss. This job is never going to be better. My life is terrible. Right? And so we do this thing where we always look outside of ourselves and we always look at external factors and circumstances and situations in our lives. And we think to ourselves, well, how can I be happy if all of these bad things are going on? But when we look at the biblical model and imagination for where happiness and joy come from, it doesn't necessarily come from external factors But it comes from the one who the Bible says makes his home within us. Karina, during the scripture reading, she said that we pray pray that the one who gives us inner strength, the one who gives us inner strength is God. And the Bible says that he who is in us, which is God, is greater than anything and everyone that is outside of us. And so initially when we think about happiness, happiness isn't just about something that we're waiting for. That new job, that increase in pay, that new home, that new relationship, that new child, whatever it is, none of those things are ever going to bring us happiness if we are not centered around the one who is capable of giving us happiness and joy. You know, there's an old story, myth, historical fiction, I don't know. How many of you have ever heard of the Fountain of Youth? I don't think that's it, but Google only gave me so many images to choose from. Well, I'm for free. Otherwise, you got to pay. But we've all heard of this elusive fountain of youth, and, and we hear that the story that in the, in the 1500s, I think it was the fifth or 1400s or 1300s, when did Christopher sail the ocean blue? Okay, great. <laughs> well, one of the people that sailed with him was Juan Ponce de Leon, and it is said that he searched for the fountain of youth in Florida or in an island off of Florida. 
Now, most historians would say, well, that probably isn't true. He probably wasn't actually looking for the fountain of youth. But it's a great story, isn't it? You see, because we like stories that tell us, like, and if you just drink from this fountain of youth, not only will you live forever, but you will be young, you will be vibrant, you will find happiness, you will find joy. If you just get to this one thing, and if you just take it in, then everything is going to be better. And it's not just about one man who was looking for this fountain of youth hundreds of years ago. But we all search for that thing that is going to make us happier. I know that in a church, what you expect the pastor to say is, well, only Jesus is going to make you happy. So if you have a relationship with Jesus and if you're saved, then you're going to be happy. Like that's what we expect pastors to say. But the problem is that, well, the problem with that is that we don't lead people towards understanding how all of that makes sense. And this morning and next week, I want to look at the part that we play and how we find more joy and happiness in our lives. Because if we're honest, we would all say that we could all use a little bit more happiness, just a little bit more joy, a little bit more peace, a little bit more love. Now, marketing agencies, they know this really well. Just the other day, I can't remember where I was driving, but I remember that I almost swerved out of my lane because I was trying to get a second look at a certain billboard. And I don't have it here because I couldn't find it online, but the billboard said this, or something close to it, park your dreams in your driveway. What do you think it was advertising? Yeah, it was, it was a BMW. Now, I don't have a BMW, but I've driven one. My brother has one. That's why when I go home to visit, or when I go to his home to visit, I, he always lets me drive it, and I love it, and, I, and it convinces me that I need one exactly like the one he has. <laughs> BMWs are really nice cars. They drive really well. They have a lot of, like, his in particular has heated seats, and I don't know what else, all kinds of really nice things. And marketing agencies, they know this. And so they're not selling a car, they're selling a way of life. See, if you start looking around, it's not just car agencies, but it's everything else that is trying to sell a product. They know that they're not going to just sell a product. They want to sell you a new way of life, a new imagination for how life could be. And we get caught up in all of those things. Now, you may not be caught up in wanting to buy a new car that you can call the car of your dreams. But I know that we're all searching for something. We have this innate craving of our soul for something that cannot be found anywhere in this world. If we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, um, it's not for the faint of heart, is it? It's like Solomon, who, who we believe is the wisest man ever to live. He writes this almost existential tome, and he's basically saying like, well, here's the meaning of life, but that's not really the meaning of life, and I'm not going to tell you the end because I want you to read it. And if it's confusing as you read it, I think it's supposed to be that way until you get to the end. But one of the things that he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it says, He, referring to God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, God has put eternity into man's heart. God has put eternity into your heart. And the idea behind this is that there is this immense craving there is this immense searching and craving of the soul that is looking for something that is going to bring us true happiness and true joy, not just for the moment, but for a lifetime. 
And what's so powerful about this is that Solomon knew. And you see, some people would say, well, why would God do that? Is God doing that just so that because God is so insecure that he needs the human race to love him? Why would God put this craving in our souls? And, and it's not because God is insecure and needs people to love him, but it's because he created us in such a way that true happiness and joy isn't found in a bigger paycheck, in a better job, in a different relationship, or a new home. God created us with this innate craving of our soul because he wanted to be able to pour into us in such a way that we would experience the fullness of what life could be and it can only be found with God. Is God against nice things? I don't think so. If you can afford them, that's great. God's not against the things in this world. He's only against them if we're seeking after those things to bring happiness He's only against them if we're using them as an imitation or a substitute for what true, genuine joy and happiness is. And so we seek for different things in all of our lives. But there's a prophet in the Old Testament, small book, people probably never really read it, it's Amos. Right? The only Amos we know is what, famous Amos, the cookie? But before that, there was another Amos who would say something that is sweeter than the sweetest cookie. And he says this, Seek God and live. You see, the, the message of God is always simple. The message that God gives his prophet, and if you don't know about prophets in the Old Testament, a prophet was the spokesperson from God to the people. And their time was much like our time. It was people were divided. People were searching for things that would bring them happiness and joy. And into that reality, which I believe is very close to our reality today, God is speaking to us through his prophets in Scripture. And he says, if you want to find the true joy and abundant life, seek God and live. Because it's the process of seeking. If you've ever lost something in your life, how much will we search to look for the things that we lose? Now, if they're not very expensive, we might just say, well, I kind of looked. I'll just go buy another one. But if something is really expensive or something is even just valuable to you, we do not stop looking for something until we find it. And God knows that that's how we are made. And so God says when you seek true joy, true happiness, you will find it and you will keep seeking after it every single day. Because joy and happiness isn't just about a moment. It's about the continual process of seeking after God and living a life that is oriented toward him. So now this time for this picture. I remember hearing a story, and I don't know if it was online or if I heard another preacher. I can't remember where I heard this, and it's so frustrating. So I'm going to give you the best recollection I have. So there's a story about a family that goes to the beach for the first time. The parents had been to the beach many times before, but it was their daughter's first time to the beach. And as she comes up to the water line, she begins to see that there are a lot of little seashells and we all know that some seashells are prettier than others, but if you've never actually seen a real seashell that's washing up on the shore, you know, they're beautiful, the way the light hits them, the colors that they are. And so she starts picking these up, and, you know, she's only four years old. Her hands can't hold that much. So she starts picking up these seashells. And the mom tells her, like, hey, those are really great, but there's better ones on the other side. 
And the little girl's like, no, 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 but I don't need any more seashells because I already have my hands full with all of these pretty seashells. And the mom kept saying, no, no, look, just put them down. Trust me, because when we go to the other side of this, of this beach, you're going to find an even better one, bigger one, more beautiful ones. But the little girl, she couldn't pick those up because her hands were full of the little, not as nice seashells. You know, and that's a story for us. We tend to do that in our lives. We hold on or we grab onto the things that are most immediate, the things that are temporary, the things that we think are going to bring us happiness. And, and it's not just physical things. It can be relationships. It can be mindsets. It can be ways of life. It can be philosophies. It can be money. It can be physical possessions. It can be any number of things that we seek after to give us happiness. And the whole time, God is saying, like, look, trust me, you're going to want to let go of that because what I have in store for you is going to blow your socks off. It's going to be so much better than what you think you have right now. So I want to read two quotes before we get into a couple of Bible passages. This is one that I use all the time and that I'll use until the last sermon I get to preach. And it's a story or a quote by C.S. Lewis in his book, Weight of Glory. And he says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. So he's saying, look, we seek, you know, we seek for things that are temporary. They're not really going to fulfill us. And, and we're foolish for that because God has something that can give us infinite joy. He says, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. For we are too easily pleased. Isn't that true? You know, for so many of us, we, we don't seek after God all the time because we are so easily distracted. Now, I don't have any kids yet. I mean, in the womb. But when you've been around nieces and nephews, when they're starting to get crazy and act up, what do we do? We try to distract them with something else, right? Or if they're getting into something we don't want them to do, we distract them with something else. And, and without knowing it, that becomes a pattern for how we live our lives, and we allow ourselves to be distracted. And instead of going towards that thing that will give us the more infinite joy, which is God, we end up going for something so much less, and, and that pales in comparison to the life that God really wants to give us. And so we settle for the imitation instead of that which is authentic and real and genuine. And so Erwin McManus in his book, Uprising, he says, We have traded the authentic for the imitation. Human history can be summarized as a desperate search for life. We look for it everywhere and in everything. We pursue wealth, power, success, pleasure, and endless experiences just to feel alive. Yet with all that we gain... There is always the inescapable stench of death all around us. Even if we gain the whole world, we die with our souls empty and hollow if we don't search after the author of life. Because we can always, we will always try to find what is easiest first. So Jesus, in the words of Jesus, he says this, he says, abide in me as I abide in you. And we don't use those words we can use the word remain in me. Another way of saying it is enter into my presence and I will always be in your presence. 
You know, when we go after and seek God, when we seek true happiness, we realize that happiness isn't the next big thing, but it's being in proximity to the one who can give us infinite joy. If you've ever been in a really good relationship, you will know that it's not because the other person is so great, but it's what you have together. And our relationship with God is such as that. It's not that God is happy with you because you're in a relationship with him, but it's that being in that proximity with God allows us to see the world in a different way. He says, just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, so we're the branch, God's the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide remain in me. Those who come to me, who seek me, I will bear them much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. You know what's powerful about this passage, and it goes on, we're not going to go the whole thing, is that there is this, this sense that God is the one who infuses us with the ability to find that joy. You know, I don't know if you've ever been upset at someone, but it's not that easy to just say, well, I'm so upset at you, but I'm not going to be upset now, and then all of a sudden you feel great. That's not something we do very well as humans. You know, we've already talked about our emotions several weeks or months ago. But when we're connected to the source of life and love and joy and peace, it is open to you in abundance. The reason that we don't see that is because we keep looking outside of ourselves to other things to bring us that. And as often as we search for those other things to bring us joy, it's going to hinder the process of allowing God to work in our lives. So I want to look at three short steps on how you can find more happiness. So there it is, three steps to finding more happiness. And it's going to come from the same book in Scripture. It's a, it's a letter to a church in Philippi. But here's what it says. Number one, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Those leaves that you have in your hand, we could call those gratitude leaves. You see, when, you're, when you are rejoicing, and we could say that when you are being thankful, when you are being, when you are being reminded of everything that you have reason to be grateful and thankful for, when you're practicing this, this practice of gratitude and being reminded or, or, or purposely reminding yourself of all the things you're thankful for, it's really hard to be upset at the things you don't think you have. You know, I've shared this, that whenever Kara and I seem to find ourselves in this kind of, you know, because every marriage has sometimes, like, you just kind of get on each other's nerves. I think I get on her nerves more than anything. <laughs> That's not true. She's patient. But if it ever does happen, or sometimes we're just like, eh, you know, we say, okay, let's, we're going to put a timer for seven minutes, and we're going to practice gratitude, and we're going to start saying all the things we're thankful for. Like, if you're upset, that's really hard to do. Trust me. But by the end of those seven minutes, we realize, hey, our hearts are full. And whatever we think we're missing, we're actually over full or overflowing with so many other things. Think about this in your morning for your morning ritual if you have one. What would your day look like or how would it be different if you spent some time writing down the things you're grateful for? I'll tell you what, it's a practice that is worth trying it's something that I do almost every single day. I won't lie, I don't do it every single day. But in my, journal, in my journal, there's a little section, and it says, what am I grateful for this morning? And I just start to write. And it's not about the big things, but it's about the little things. 
And sometimes I'll say I'm thankful that I have fingers to hold this pen for which I'm able to write. I'm thankful that I can move about. I'm thankful that I have food. I'm thankful that I have my sight. I'm thank- and then the list goes on and on and on and on. Because if you're, because have you ever been sick and you say you have a sore throat and you're just like, man, I am going to be so grateful to God when this sore throat is gone and I'm not going to take it for granted. Have you ever had that experience? Yeah. I think we do that in life. We take so much of our life for granted. And God's just like, no, like, just, just pause for a moment and rejoice. Look at all of the reasons and blessings that you have to be thankful for everything you have in your life. And when you focus on the good, it's easier to look at the negative things or the bad things and say, like, yeah, that's hard or that's bad or that's painful. But the good far outweighs the bad. You know, there's a passage in Scripture that I don't have on there. But it says that when we enter into the kingdom of God in eternity, that everything that we experienced on this earth, all of the pain and suffering, it will not even compare to the eternal weight of glory. For when we are in the presence of God, everything else will be as though it was nothing. But see, the, the wonderful thing about this is you don't have to wait until eternity. It can be a way of life today. You see, faith isn't just about your ticket to heaven. Faith is about how you choose to live in this world today, every moment that you have. You see, if you're in a loving relationship with someone, you don't tell them, okay, but I'll see you five or ten years from now. You want to be with them in their presence or talking or thinking about them every moment of every day. And we have that opportunity to do that as we connect with God because the scripture tells us the whole earth is the Lord. So number one is to practice gratitude to rejoice. Rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in the forgiveness. Rejoice in reconciliation. Rejoice in all of the little blessings that God gives you on a daily basis. Because when you're focused on the good, you're not going to focus on the bad. Step number two, I'm going to read this next passage. It says, the Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. See this sense of gratitude? Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses our understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Think about this. Like, the message of this little text is that God is near to us. And if you have any worry or anxiety or anything that is just bringing you down, it says offer that up to God. But it says, like, offer it up in thanksgiving. God's not going to fix everything in your life. Amen? Yeah. The Bible never tells us that God will fix everything. That's, that's a false gospel. But what the Bible does tell us is that when we go through the valley, when we go through the difficult times, God will be the one who sustains us, who gives us perseverance, and who helps us get through it. So it's okay when we suffer. A couple of weeks ago, you can listen on our podcast, we talked about the gift of suffering if you want to learn more about that. But the reality is, is that God says, look, lift, just lift it up. Like, give it to, get, just give it to me. I will bear that burden with you. If you've ever gone through a difficult time in your life and you know that you have someone that you can just vent to and you know that someone is like, hey, man, I, I will go through this with you, it makes going through the crucible that much easier because you know that someone will help to bear your burden. And Jesus says, look, if you don't feel like you have anyone else, I'll do that for you. Just leave it at the foot of the cross. Just give it to me. I will take care of this. And it says, and the peace that surpasses all understanding will be given to you. 
Now, notice that the Bible doesn't say God will solve all of your problems and fix everything and you'll have a perfect life. It just says, like, okay, anxiety, worry, all the bad things you're going through, that's okay. Like, you still have to go through them, but I will give you peace as you go through them. See, that's gospel. Gospel is that God didn't give up on us when he was on the cross, when at any point Jesus could have said, okay, I'm done. This hurts too much. We'll find another way. But he didn't. Jesus didn't give up on us in the most painful moments of physical human suffering. He's not going to give up on us now. And so step number two is draw near to God. Be open to the presence of God in prayer. And not just the prayers where we tell God everything we need, but sometimes the best and most powerful kinds of prayers are those prayers where we're just sitting in silence and we say, God, I'm open to your presence now. And step number three, I think I'm going to finish with this, is mindset. This is all in the same passage and says, Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You see, our joy, our happiness, when we're busy having a mindset of focusing on everything that is good, honorable, true, just, and worthy of praise, it changes the way we encounter the world. You see, God in in Scripture, and we'll talk about this a little bit more next week, the way he created us is that we would have the most abundant, fulfilling, purposeful, joyful, happy kind of lives. The problem is that sin enters the world and it distorts everything. But God is constantly at work reconciling us, giving us that abundance. And the part that we play in this is that we get to focus on all the good that God is doing. A mindset of gratitude and thanksgiving, of rejoicing and of peace. You see, this is what God gives us. He gives us the ability to be able to focus on all of that. So the three steps, which I'm sure there's other things, but this is what I find in Scripture. So three ways that we can find more happiness is to continually rejoice in Christ, show gratitude and be grateful for even the little things that he gives us. Step number two is to draw near to God, be in close proximity to him, not just in church, but God can go with us wherever we go. And number three, the mindset of goodness, of joy, of truth, of justice, and what's honorable and pleasing to God. And if we can do these things, we will be more primed to be able to experience these deep feelings of joy and happiness. And I don't think I have this slide, but as Karina read, there is a line that says that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through God's Spirit. That you may be strengthened in your inner being Because life isn't easy and sometimes it's hard. But when we have God on our side, his peace will surround you. His peace will fill you. And the Bible tells us that your inner being, your soul will be strengthened because God is in you. Amen.